Our scripture reading this evening comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 86. Psalm 86. This is a prayer of David. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength on behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is the word of the Lord. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, when I was in college in Grand Rapids, Michigan, my good friend David was majoring in English with a focus on creative writing. And so his classes focused on literature and poetry, reading the novels, short stories, poems, and biographies of great writers from all around the world through every chapter of history. And David found great delight in reading these stories. And in many ways, he found that reading the stories of other people helped him to make sense of his own life. Reading stories by other authors helped David to see his own life from a different perspective. It gave him a glimpse into the lives and the feelings of others. And as a practical effect for the work that he was going into, reading stories by other authors helped David discover his own voice when he wrote. But at the beginning of the school year, almost every year that I was in college, David and I had pretty much the same conversation. Because every year, new students would enroll in the creative writing program at Calvin College, and so every year the class would start out in the same way. 
The teacher would do introductions, and everyone in the class would go around and say their name and what year they were in and who their favorite authors were and why they were in a creative writing program. And every year, David was amazed and shocked that about half the students in his class would say that they didn't really have any favorite authors, that they really didn't read very much, but they were in a creative writing program because they thought that what they had to say was important and they thought that other people would read their stuff. And this really bothered my friend because David couldn't see how someone could become a writer without learning from other writers. We learn best through imitation, through emulating people that we want to be like. And every year, David was surprised and more than a little distressed that people in a creative writing program didn't read. How can you learn to be a writer if you don't read other writers? And I think that in some ways, prayer is similar. We aren't born with an ability to pray, just like we aren't born with an ability to speak or read or write. We learn to pray. And we learn prayer best by imitating our parents and the other people around us who pray. Our pastors, our elders, our teachers, the leaders of our community. And prayer is more than just words. Prayer is the primary way that we speak to God. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us that prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us, and that God gives his grace and the presence of his Holy Spirit only to those who pray. Prayer is the most important way that we say thank you to God. And when we pray, God gives us his grace and his Holy Spirit. So prayer is pretty important. And we have in our Bible a whole book of prayers in the Psalms. And many of these prayers praise God for his love and his faithfulness. Many others cry out to God in the midst of suffering and pain. And most of the Psalms are kind of a mix of these two things, crying out to God, but also confessing his faithfulness and his goodness. But I wanted to read Psalm 86 this evening because Psalm 86 is unique among the Psalms. And the thing that makes Psalm 86 unique is that there is nothing in Psalm 86 that is unique. Literally every sentence in this Psalm is taken from other Psalms. In Psalm 86, David uses words that have already been written, prayers that have already been spoken, and puts them together to help him make sense of where he's at in his life. Rather than try and pray something unique in the midst of his suffering, David simply prays other people's prayers. And this is something that I feel like I can relate to, and I'm sure many of you can relate to as well. When we go through difficult times, times of sorrow, times of pain, sometimes those times we find are the hardest to pray. Even though those are the times that we want to pray and even need to pray. But when we go through times of suffering, 
Sometimes the words just don't come out. The brain just doesn't work right. And I think maybe that's what's happening with David in this psalm. David is in distress, he's in trouble, he's in sorrow, he's in pain, and maybe he sits down to pray and he just can't come up with words to say. Maybe David's at his bedside on his knees and the words just won't come. Or maybe he's flat on his face in the temple courts and he just can't think of a single thing to say to God. But then, almost without thinking, he starts saying other psalms. And a phrase comes to his mind. Hear me, O Lord, and answer me. From Psalm 55, verse 2. I am poor and needy. From Psalm 40, verse 17. Guard my life. From Psalm 25, verse 20. I am faithful to you. Psalm 57, verse 7. And so it goes through this whole psalm. Clause after clause. Sentence after sentence. David borrows from other psalms. Because he can't find his own words to express his suffering before God. And so he uses words that have already been spoken, prayers that have already been prayed to make sense of what he is going through. In a lot of ways, this is what we do in worship. In worship, we come together before God as his people, as individuals certainly, but as his people, we come together to worship him. And so the things that we speak and pray and sing come from all of us, not just individually, but together as God's people. And so in worship, we're always borrowing words from other people. A call to worship from the Psalms, a song of praise from Francis of Assisi, a litany from the worship source book, a prayer of confession from the Book of Common Prayer, a song of thanksgiving from Hillsong, a creed from 5th century Greece, a form from the back of the Psalter hymnal, a song of response from the American South, a blessing from ancient Hebrew scripture, a doxology from 16th century Geneva. Very little of what we say and sing and pray in worship is in our own words. And maybe that bothers some people. Sometimes it even bothers me. But I think that what worship trains us to do is important. Because worship teaches us how to take the words of others and allow those words to shape our faith, our worship, and our relationships with God and with one another. Worship teaches us to make God's words our words. Worship teaches us to make the confession of the church our confession. Worship teaches us to make the songs of the church our songs. And the reason that this is important is because, as the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us, we need to pray from the heart. The Heidelberg Catechism, in its teaching on prayer, asks uh, what I find, at least, to be a really provocative question. 
After asking why Christians should pray, the Heidelberg Catechism asks, how does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? And that just seems like an awful question because of, of course God listens to our prayers. Why, why would we be asking how to pray so that God will listen to us? But the answer that the Catechism gives is both simple and amazingly profound. The Catechism tells us to do three things. To pray from the heart, to not try and hide anything from God, and to rest, to rest on the unshakable foundation that even though we don't deserve it, God listens to our prayers because of Jesus Christ. Three things. Pray from the heart. Don't try to hide anything from God. And trust that God hears your prayers. And I think that all three of these things reveal pitfalls that we sometimes fall into when we pray. The first is that we pray without meaning what we say. Because, let's be honest, sometimes we pray for things that we feel like we should pray for, even though we don't really want those things. When, uh, when I was in high school, I lived in Texas, uh, and I went to a Christian high school with mostly uh, Southern Baptist uh, peers who believed that the rapture was going to happen any minute. And it was a very different culture to be in for me. Um, but one of the things that struck me was that my friends would often talk about how uh, you know, they would often hope aloud that, uh, they, that Jesus wouldn't come back before they graduated high school, at least, and preferably that he wouldn't come back until they got married so that they could experience the things that married people do. But they would still pray Maranatha without skipping a beat. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, because they knew that that was what they should pray for. So that's the first pitfall, praying without meaning. The second pitfall comes when we try to hide things from God, as though he doesn't know. Like when we thank God in our prayers for something that we're really not very happy about. Or when we pray for something to happen that we really don't want to happen. Or when we spend all of our time praying for others so that we don't have to be honest with God about our own emotions and the things that are happening in our lives. Because some things are hard to pray about. I mean, look at the Psalms. The authors of the Psalms cry out to God, they get angry at God, they ask God to kill people. Those are not easy words to pray, and we feel like we shouldn't pray them, even if that's how we feel. And so many of us in our prayers try to hide our feelings, our emotions, our hopes, and our fears from God. And the third pitfall comes from thinking that God doesn't really hear our prayers. Sure, maybe we pray, and maybe we even mean it. Maybe we even tell God everything. 
But why should he care? Because he's God. He's in charge of everything. So why should he be concerned with my little life, with its little problems? I mean, it, it, it almost feels ridiculous when you think about it. It's like picking up the phone and saying, Hey, uh, you know, Lord Commander of the Universe, um, I know you're really busy, but my dog is feeling sick and it's making me kind of sad. Do you, have, do you have a little while to talk about that? So we don't, you know, we pray, but we don't expect God to hear our prayers or to care about our prayers. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm going to bring it back around. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in the Dominican Republic. And in the Dominican Republic, uh, Christians pray very differently than we pray here. Here, everybody is quiet, and they, we bow our heads and close our eyes and fold our hands, and uh, we don't make any noise because we don't want anything to distract from the prayer. People are even afraid to cough during prayers because it's like, it's like if we cough, if we do anything to distract from the prayer, that's, that seems like an offense against God or something. But in the Dominican Republic, people pray very differently. People usually hold their hands up when they pray, or they'll hold hands with their neighbors. Uh, people usually stand up, and they'll either look up to heaven, or they'll bow their head in humility. And the person who is leading the prayer will start talking, and then everybody else will start praying. Prayers inspired by the prayer that the leader is praying. Uh, and so, if you're not used to it, it can be terribly disorienting because if you have, you know, 70 people gathered for a worship service uh, and the pastor starts praying, all of a sudden you have 70 prayers happening all at the same time, all out loud, all in about the same volume. It's something you have to get used to. But the amazing thing is that once you are used to it, you actually learn how to pray through the church. And once you're used to this method of praying, you learn to pick out the voice of the leader, of the prayer leader, and allow their words to inspire your prayers. It's, it's really an amazing thing uh, to experience, but it does take some getting used to. And the reason that I tell this story is because there was one time that a group uh, uh, came down from the United States who was supporting our family uh, to visit us in the Dominican. And I remember overhearing a conversation between my dad and one of the people who came down for the trip. And this person was very upset with the way that the Dominicans in the church had totally disrespected the person who was praying because they all went off and started saying their own prayers uh, when they should have been listening quietly to what the minister was uh, praying for. And so my dad very patiently explained to this man that it's simply a different tradition of having a prayer leader lead the people in their prayers, uh, and that it was still prayer, and it was still Christian, and there was, there was nothing intended to be disrespectful about it. And the man said something that I'll never forget. He said, well, I bet God finds it terribly confusing. And I remember thinking to myself, I think I was about 10 years old at the time, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I'm just a 10-year-old kid with a very elementary grasp on the Spanish language, and I don't find it confusing. 
And God's a lot smarter than I am. So I doubt he finds it confusing either. The, the reason I told that story is because sometimes we don't trust that God hears our prayers. That's the third pitfall that we fall into. God is very important, and so he must have something, we, we must have something very important to say if we're going to dial his number. But at the same time, maybe, you know, we think that our lives are too confusing for God to understand. And so maybe he just doesn't get it and doesn't respond. So those are kind of the three pitfalls that people fall into in prayer. Not, not meaning what we pray, trying to hide things from God, and not believing that God hears our prayers. But David's picture here in Psalm 86 shows us a very different picture of prayer. David uses words that aren't his own, but he makes them his own and prays them from his heart. And it's really an amazing thing that you don't quite get in the English translation because about half the verbs in this psalm are cohortatives, which I know doesn't mean anything to you, but in Hebrew, it means that they have an extra H on the end. And this little H is really hard to translate because it basically means like, oh, I really want that really badly. And that's kind of an awkward way to translate one letter into English. But, but I'm gonna do that for a second just so that you get a sense. Hear me, O Lord, and answer me. Oh, I want that. Guard my life. Oh, how I want you to. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. Oh, I want that so much. You get the picture. Even though David prays words that aren't his own, even in the Hebrew, we can see his heart being poured out in these borrowed words. David prays this psalm from the heart. Another thing David does in this psalm is he takes everything in his life and lays it before the throne of God. He doesn't hide anything. He doesn't even hide what might seem to us like less than noble reasons for wanting God to answer his prayer. In the closing verse, David says, give me a sign of your goodness, which seems like a good thing to pray for. Give me a sign of your goodness so that my enemies will see that and be ashamed. David isn't afraid to say what he truly feels. He isn't afraid to expose his true feelings before God. And finally, we see without a doubt that David trusts in God to hear and to answer his prayer. Time after time in this passage, David speaks these refrains and what are really creeds that remind him of God's character, of God's goodness, of God's love, and of God's faithfulness. Words from scripture that remind him of who God is. Words that give him hope and certainty that God will answer his prayer. David has experienced God's goodness and mercy before, and he knows that he will experience it again. David trusts in God. And so let's let his words 
be our words this evening. And I'm going to close in this prayer. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear our prayer, Lord. Listen to our cries for mercy. When we are in distress, we call to you because you answer us. There is no God like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name because you are great and you do marvelous things. You alone are God. Amen.